Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. <laughs> is it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my widow? Won't you be? <laughs> okay, it's a sign. We got haunted. <laughs> well, anyway, we are on location today, so our audio sounds a little bit different, but... <laughs> We hope you enjoyed that little number. Yes, and me throwing the phone off of the thing and falling on the floor. I just think we got haunted. Mel, what's up? Just kind of hanging out, living my life, trying to figure out what widowhood means to me. What does it mean? I think it means all sorts of things. Um, oh, Mel says I have to talk into the tape thing. The tape. Oh my gosh. Do you even know what a Hello, tape is? 1983. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk into the Discman so we can get a good recording. I'm on my way home from Colorado, Mel. Why? I went there and I did a race and it was really hard and I feel sad in my body today. 
I'm really sorry, and I'm glad that you showed up today. Yeah. You are not going to do the race originally, right? I was going to do a different race, but then it fell through. And so at the last minute, I went to Colorado to do this race. How did it go? Poorly. What does that mean? It means it was really hard, and I didn't feel good about my performance. Okay. But if I had run it and gotten the same results as you, that would have been good, right? Yeah, but that's because you're a terrible triathlete. I am. (laughs) I talked to my sister, who's a life coach, and I was like, make me feel better. I did really bad. And she's like, yeah, sometimes you just do bad. And I was like, that wasn't very helpful. (laughs) Yes, life coaching does not provide validation. I know, but I was telling her that I was having thoughts about my worth because of it. And she was like, instead of being like, no, your worth is the same. She was like, yeah, you did bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Nice, Shauna. Yeah, so... (laughs) That was kind of fun, but, but, but I got to sleep in a bed all by myself and nobody bothered me. And that is worth its weight in gold. It it was. And we were out of our league because we were staying at a really nice hotel. And I was like, I don't know how to stay at nice hotels. Well, you may never have the chance to do it again. So I, I think not. I went with my widow friend, Missy, who's one of our listeners. She was my race Sherpa. So that was fun. Thanks, Missy. We talked all sorts of widowhood things on the way to and fro. And you're still kind of in the fro. Yeah, we're in the fro. (laughs) Missy's actually in the room with us. Say hi, Missy. Hi. Mel, you're doing like a song thing this week. Yeah, this week I music direct for the Great American Songbook Academy. Probably nobody knows what that means. It's like the oldie timey George Gershwin tunes and it's like kids who are learning to be like singing performers yes so michael feinstein he's a singer guy that (laughs) wins grammys and things i think i'm pretty sure he's won a bunch of them but yeah he he also grew up in the home of ira gershwin oh so he he was like this kid that worked with them and he is kind of their the preservationist of all these things. So he actually has the archives for original George Gershwin and Ira Gershwin material and all sorts of other things. And so this camp is pretty cool because the kids get to work with him and he's like, you cannot change that lyric. And do you want to know why? Because I know Oscar Hammerstein and he did not approve. So you cannot change the word. And the kids are like, mind blown. Well, I know Oscar Hammerstein too. He's yeah. a personal friend well the thing that's so funny about the great american song book is that jazzers love taking those songs and making them jazzified but you can't you can but the original composers usually hated it because they oh. were like you're changing all well, of I'm our things you can't do it in a songbook setting like, yeah it's camp. a little bit different yeah okay. yeah there there are parameters so anyway blah 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 that's what i'm doing this week it's all virtual right now usually you would go somewhere right yeah used to be in like indiana which is close to indiana (laughs) yeah it's just outside of indianapolis so yeah they the archives are there and the these people came to michael feinstein and they're like we want to support you we have lots of money we'll build you a palladium and a mansion and you can house your archives here and behold they did it the world is so weird yeah they have all these cool artifacts like original music it's nuts so i'm doing that this week i'm recovering this week i don't know what's gonna happen this week but i'm sure it will all be fine will it is it ever fine 
No. Is it ever not fine? Actually, we were talking about this on the way home. I was like, actually, I enjoy my life. Like, it's not so bad. There's some bad parts about it, but really, I mostly just like it. So. Good. I know. That's like a good, that's like a good thing. That's way good. I'm so proud of you. No. Hey. If you want to be able to have conversations with fellow widows, make sure you check out the Widow Wives Club. It's on Facebook. You can find links to it on all of our social media and website. Just make sure you fill out all of the questions and answer the question at the end that is agreeing to the group rules. We really aren't going to let you in if you don't answer all the questions. And we hate turning people away, but we're very protective of our group. Yes. And... It's not a substitute for therapy, but it is a really great place where you can find community and find common ground and talk to others who get what you are going through. Also, if you do need therapy, we have a unique link with BetterHelp so that you can get a discount off of your first month. It's online therapy. I personally use it myself. I think it's great. So does Missy, I found out. Missy gave us permission to tell you all that she does it too. How are you liking it? I love it. She loves it. Okay. So if you're in need of therapy and you would like to check it out for 10% off your first month, type in trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. And we always link to the show notes with that. And also we have it in all of our social media accounts and our website. So if you cannot find it, look there or email us. We all need therapy. Anita's making noise. You can't make noise while I'm talking. <laughs> okay. I'm a, I'm a disaster. Guys, oh my gosh. Okay. My brain isn't working and my body isn't working. Mel, can we do the patron shout out? Yeah, but should you tell everyone what Patreon is first? Yeah, Patreon is a system that allows <laughs> people... You shouldn't ask me to say any words today. Patreon is a website that allows people to support their favorite content creators such as podcasts so it's a monthly donation that you make to the podcast that you love and we're on there it's patreon.com slash wwdn just helps us keep the podcast going the tiers start as low as five dollars a month which is the price of one or two tacos depending on the quality of said tacos or like a half of a starbucks drink they're so expensive. I know. I was thinking, like, what's a half of a venti? What's half of a venti? Like $29. <laughs> Actually, it's cheaper to support us on Patreon than it is to go to Starbucks, if that's helpful for you. That's helpful for me. One of the perks that you get if you decide to join our Patreon is you get a shout-out, which we are going to do right now. But first, if you do not want to support us on Patreon but want to help us a little bit, you can buy us tacos at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And if you don't even want to do that, it will help us so much if you just share our account and tell people about us. That's free. We're trying to help all the widows. So please consider doing that. Thank you. We're going to start our patron shout out with our secret patron. And to her, we say, over the river and through the woods to our secret window's house we go. <laughs> Constance Dahlbach. David Kelly. Doug Satterwhite. Ivan the Meisner. Kat. Amy. Amy Sapp. Ashley Hahn. Christina Shiflett. Danielle Catterberg. Wait, not a Debbie Downer. 
Dennis Brazo, Jenny Taylor, Jenny Wang, Kathy Murray, Kirsten Stromberg, Laura Bradbury, Leslie Webb, Missy Schubert in the house, Rachel Barbosa, Sarah Morris, Sylvia the Shore, The Winehouse Karen, Anna Tracy, Christina Scambato, Christine Anderson, Mindy Holmgren, Don Barber, Diana Becker, Emily Thornton, Emily Toledo, Aaron Posick, Gabe Lozano, Ian Sini, Ileana Bell, The One Who Takes Them to Cowabunga Bay, Jamie Aliota, My Mom, Jenny Barrow, Jocelyn Milo, Fancy Lady, Katie Radcliffe, Kara Scarra, happy birthday today, Lori Farrington, Marie Hoffman, Marjorie Lewis, Mary McGowan, Peter Rukavina, Sarah Kennedy, The Merry Widow, Shannon Helm, Sunshine Haven, Tammy Schwartz, Tara Wallace, Val Packer, and No Air Conditioning, Wendy. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate your love and your support. You the best. Before we get into our next episode, remember that we usually record these a few weeks in advance of actually putting them out. And we mentioned possibly attending Camp Widow in San Diego at the time of this recording. And since then, as you all may know, we are actually attending and presenting. So if you're confused by us talking about us maybe going, we are going we just recorded this earlier. See you at Camp Widow and enjoy the episode. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're two young widows and we're merely trying to figure out widow what do we do now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in honor of Elizabeth Meisner. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Mel. Anita. We have a guest today. Did you know that? What? <laughs> I know. Do tell. <laughs> we have just gone away from our usual format of guests to have a guest. That was very <laughs> confusing. Okay. Um, who is this guest? Our guest today is Autumn Tolly Jackson. Hi, Autumn. Hi. How are you guys? We are... I'm great. I'm, I'm a little scrambled in the head, but that's great for me. So nice to meet you, Autumn. Nice to meet you guys. Where are you recording from? I am recording from my bedroom in Eastern Oregon. (laughs) Eastern Oregon. I am. So kind of your guys' part of the world. Yes. Wow. So I feel like uh, Eastern Oregon 
is like a different world than Western Oregon. True or false? True. It's <laughs> yeah. brown with sagebrush oh. and not green and rainy. So so that's like where we are. Too. Yeah. Yep. It's like muted greens and like dead colors of greens yeah. and yellows. And sometimes yeah. it's a little extra green, like for a week or two in the spring. Autumn, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am... As you know, a widow. Um, I, what? I know it's crazy. Um, I work full time. I have two living children um, that are nine. Here we oh, go. No. I know. That's that's bad when you say it that way. I know. But, you know, I, I do have three children and I want to counter. So um, that's how I say it. That's that's totally <laughs> valid. But then we're going to have to hear more about that in a little bit. I but know. Keep going. Um. But I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old that are crazy and ridiculous and awesome and um, keep me on my toes. So I am with you, sister. What do you do for a job? I work in land management. So I work with ranchers. Okay. On the sagebrush. On the sagebrush. Yes. (laughs) There's grass in there too a little bit. (laughs) That's what the cows? Is that what ranchers... Okay. Yep, they raise cows for beef. <laughs> can you ranch like other things? Um, you can't. Others oh, like sheep ranchers. I don't know. Pigs yeah. might be called farmers. Oh yeah, pig farmers. Okay. What about um, alpacas? I don't. <laughs> I don't think the cattle ranchers want to consider alpaca ranchers to be ranchers. I'm not sure what they would call themselves. What about if you make dressing? What ranch oh. dressing? <laughs> Technically, it seems like that would be a rancher. I think so. I think it would okay. fit. So how did you become a widow? Like, what the heck? Go. I know. So um, in 2015, my husband went for a jog, and he was 30, and he literally dropped dead. No. Yeah. So um, that's the really short version of it. But uh, we had... Our oldest son was just about three, and our youngest son was two weeks old. And no, I know <laughs> I don't like your story. Anita's just gonna keep telling you I no. Refuse to hear it anymore. I, I, <laughs> okay, I'm prepared. Go ahead. I wish saying no made it not happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, seriously. But yeah, so our youngest son was two weeks old, and my husband's a wildland firefighter. He's big into hunting. He was trying to get in shape, so he went and played basketball um, through our men's league thing, and then he came home and went for a jog, because even though it was February, it was like 50 degrees out, which is super warm for where we live, and I put the baby down, and he didn't come back, and so I went and looked for him, and I found him on the side of the road. No. So you <laughs> I did oh it again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so when you found him, did you know that he had died or had he not died yet? Um I didn't at the time. Looking back on it, I think I could have recognized that he wasn't there anymore because I didn't feel him, which is really like abstract. Um and some other signs but at the time I freaked out and I ran into my neighbor's house which because I live in a rural area is also my boss's house who is also my husband's mom's friend's house um and so I just ran in screaming and this was at like 10 30 at night oh man and told him they had to call an ambulance because of course I didn't I think I had on like a, a 
a sports bra or something because I was just feeding the baby and I threw on a coat and I didn't have a phone or anything um, because I expected him to be gimping along somewhere like he broke an ankle or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I ran out and had them call an ambulance and then I went back out and started CPR and um, he came out eventually and helped me with CPR and his wife came over to my house to make sure the kids were still asleep. So they were not able to resuscitate him? Nope. Um, Eventually the ambulance got here and it took forever. And I think that's just a thing when you're waiting for an ambulance. It seems like it takes absolutely forever. Um, And actually the sheriff got here first and he took over compressions for me. And then the ambulance got here and they worked, I don't know, probably 40 minutes. And then they Mm -hmm. stopped. And I know at that point the sheriff came over to me and I'm, I don't even think I let him say anything. I go, they stopped working on him. That's not good, right? And at that point, he, they said no. And they didn't know what had happened because he was 30 and by all outward appearances and good health. And so they they thought it might have been a hit and run. Oh. Because it was dark. And of course, I'm like, yeah, it was a hit and run. We're going to find those bastards. And I was so mad. And it gave me somebody to be mad at. And um, yeah. it wasn't. He his heart stopped which from talking to people in the medical field that's more of a symptom than a cause um yeah and they we i'm i'm the same boat you know yeah like sudden cardiac death just boom yeah you die yeah and they never we did a full autopsy and everything and they never found an actual cause it wasn't a heart attack mm. it wasn't all those other things so Do you get irritated when people say he died of a heart attack? I do. Um, Yeah. Or they try to come up with a reason for why he died. Because I'm like, I don't know why he died. He literally just dropped dead. Yeah. Is it, Mm. it, do they tell you it's because he was needed on the other side as you're there with your two week old baby? Um, I did hear a few of those. Yeah. (laughs) Which really just kind of pisses you off because... I needed him. Yeah. It's like this whole childbirth thing and recovering from that and having a toddler and a baby. It's like, I'm pretty sure I needed him quite a bit. How long had you guys been married or together? Um, We had been, let's see, that was 2015. So we'd been together for about Holy nine years. Holy cow. Autumn, what was that like for you having a newborn and no husband? I'm exhausting. And... I'm really blessed to have a really good family because I couldn't have done it without them. And I know a lot of women get thrust into this widowed role without having that support. Um, But by six o'clock the next morning, my parents were here and my sister was here and Joe's mom and her husband were on the way over and my brother-in-law was here and my father-in-law was here. And um, I think within a few days I had friends here and an aunt and uncle here and just a ton of support. And so that really helped with that first week. And then my mom actually stayed with me for almost three months because I could like hold the baby. And if I was told it was hungry, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I need to take care of this thing. Um, and I'd feed it, but I was catatonics, not the right word, but I basically sat and stared and didn't do anything unless I was told I needed to. Yeah. Um, did all of those people stay in your house? Because do you live in a mansion? <laughs> um, I don't live in a mansion. And so a bunch of them brought campers. <laughs> they stayed in their, their campers oh, wow. in our yard. Um, and So 
wait, it looked like the command center of a natural disaster at your house? Yeah, largely. Cool. Um, a lot yeah. of people and actually like some local people dropped off their camp trailers just so my family could stay in them. Wow. That's kind of cool. And, and actually the benefits of living in a rural area, it's uh, the furniture store dropped off an extra fridge like within a day. <laughs> the garbage company dropped off an extra garbage can without, Aww, like I didn't even have- I love this. Yeah, I didn't even have to talk to them. And then a few people that had trailers are like, hey, want us to come drop our camp trailers off at your house so people have places to stay. And you were like, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm like, sure. That is amazing. So do you feel like you remember any of that first period of time? Or is it just kind of like, I don't even know what happened? I don't remember a lot. I have bits and pieces, but literally so much of that first week, so much of that probably six months afterwards are just like complete blanks. Yeah. No idea. Um, oh, my goodness. I Again, I have people in my family that are really organized and we're happy to take care of the details. And they'd come to me and they'd ask questions. Um, and I remember at one point they're like, okay, so do we need to call the cemetery? Is that where he wanted to be buried? And we had wills, which actually said he wanted to be buried in, in the cemetery. But I, I answered that and I go, no, he actually wanted to be buried out at the ranch. It's too bad you can't do that anymore. Turns out somebody in my family is like, no, you can totally do that. You just have to go register this plot of land as a cemetery. And so she took care of all of that and had this cemetery designated at his grandparents' ranch. Whoa. Whoa. So he has a cemetery of one? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And they talked about moving his grandma over there. And I wish they had thought about it when she passed away. But um, yeah, a cemetery for one. And my dad owns a welding shop. And so he went back, he's from Bend, and went back two hours away and built the cemetery fence. An <laughs> iron cemetery fence. So we had a fence. It... Oh, okay, Anita, so Anita. Cool. Okay, we need it's to move cool. there. People have trailers. You know how I feel about trailers. Mm -hmm. I know. There are... You know how I feel about them. I'm scared of them. Well, there mm. will be more people there to help you with the trailer phobia. Cows. Okay ranches alpacas if we bring you them can drop off fridges you can have your own cemetery holy sounds smoke. rad so yeah. what has your healing journey looked like give us a little bit of insight into that so at the very beginning it wasn't much of a journey i some part of me knew i needed to find something to help with it and that's probably the downside of living in a really rural areas Sometimes in our area, there were hospice grief groups on occasion. They weren't like a regular thing and um, not in my age category <laughs> for the most part. And I didn't know what to do. And like my mom and my grandparents, they were all still alive. And so I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I would go on like the internet and search. And I don't know if I just really sucked at putting in keywords because it took me forever to find support. <laughs> and now I know there's so much out there on the internet, but it was so hard to find anything. And I'd find Facebook groups, but sometimes they were so depressing. Sometimes they were helpful. <laughs> now this is 2015, right? Yeah. So I, when my husband died, it was 2017. And I remember feeling like the same thing. And that was two years later. So there, yeah, 
there's not a, there wasn't a lot out there. Now there's a ton. Maybe it's just gotten so much bigger <laughs> the last six years. We're like a snowball effect. Yeah. Um, eventually, I actually found Soaring Spirits, and they were doing one of their Camp Widows. Yes, that's a hot topic right now because there's an upcoming one, and Mel and I have been discussing whether or not we're going to attend. You should. So um, you have you been to one? I did. So I am a complete introvert. I hate talking to people um, in general. Um, I really hate sharing my feelings. But something about it was just like, I need to go where people understand what kind of nightmare I'm living in. And so I packed my bags up and I went and I was like six months out at that point. And it was amazing. I never knew like some sort of retreat could be so helpful. And so I went that year and then I went the next year and then I might have skipped a year and I went again. And this year I'm going to San Diego. Um, and I hope at some okay. time, sometime. We might see Yeah, you. it'd be great. I'd like to actually lead a workshop at some point. Ooh, cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Okay, so it's been six, five or six years? Six years. No, six years, yep. yeah. I was going to say, depending on what time of the year, but no, six years. When did you start to feel like you were living again um i started to have a little bit of that with very like i'm living and then like crashes and then come up a little bit and i'm living um probably in probably about four months afterwards and then through the rest of that first year i felt like i was able to get better with it um a lot of it had to do with i found a person who was a coworker. My husband and I both worked at the same place and this guy had worked with us and he had lost his dad a number of years before. And it was the closest thing I could find to somebody who understood. And um, he reached out to me. And while I don't normally take people up on that, I needed somebody to talk to. And he was like, I don't live with anybody. I'm not married. I'm up at all hours of the night. So if you need somebody to talk to in the two o'clock in the mornings, um, I'm probably up and send me a message. Uh, so I started to do that. And later I realized that he was just lying about that and usually had his phone muted at night, but stopped. Uh (laughs) Um, but he became this person where I could tell my dark jokes to, And like people would, if I said my husband dropped dead, he'd be like, he'd make a joke out of it too. But if I told almost anybody else that they're like, Oh my God. It's like, no, he just dropped dead. Um, isn't the dark humor portion so fascinating because it's factual, but it also, some people can be offended by it and others find healing with it. And obviously you're our people because yeah. we all kind of speak the same way, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so his name was Kyle and eventually we ended up dating and to go to that dark humor at one point in time, his mom, who is also of course widowed, um, we were around her and I said something that was obviously hilarious and he looked at me obviously obviously (laughs) um and he just shook his head and he looks at me and he goes I think your husband's heart stopped because you're so frustrating and I go no it exploded (laughs) because it was so full of love (laughs) because I was too much to handle he couldn't contain his love for me exactly and so we both started laughing and his mom was over there just looking at us like we were completely crazy (laughs) But it was that sort of thing that really helped. Um, And eventually we got married. 
he became my my new person. Spoiler, okay. spoiler alert. So we just jumped to chapter two. I know, which is crazy. Okay, Anita and I have not dated since our husbands have died. What was that like? Except Did each you, other. Except each other in our fake widow wives. Fake dating. Whatever that is. Yeah. Did you have conflicting feelings? Tell us about that. Oh, all kinds of conflicting feelings because we started, like I said, we started talking probably four or five months at about seven months after Joe had passed away. We actually started talking about dating. Um, and he was really against it at first because he didn't want to feel like he was taking advantage of me. And I would go back and forth from thinking like, what are people going to think? They're going to think I didn't love Joe. They're going to think I'm just trying to replace him. They're going to think, they're going to think, they're going to think. Pretty much everything I thought about was that. And then part of me is like, yeah, but it was really amazing to have somebody that was my best friend that I could talk to about anything that I really loved. And I'm starting to get some of those that same comfort level with Kyle. And so is it worth risking it and just being like, no, we're not going to do this. We need to not date. Or is it worth it to say, Hey, let's try this. Um, I think it helped because he was my grieving person. So he was the person I talked to about Joe constantly, which is a really weird foundation for a relationship. Um, like yeah. one of the first times we went out of town with each other was for Joe and my anniversary and so Kyle and I went out of town and then on the anniversary date, we went to dinner and he got me this anniversary card written for mine and Joe's anniversary. Aww. It, I mean, it was really sweet and it was exactly what I needed, but it was so weird. And I went, Yeah. we both, I think, went back and forth and finally we agreed that we would try dating. Um, and even after we agreed to it, there were a few times where it's like, maybe we should be doing this, maybe we should. And we ended up sticking it out. But I don't know, like, even now, if I actually had to try dating and, like, figure out how to meet people, I don't know that I'd want to. It's so hard and scary. Yeah. It's kind of nice that he just fell into your life or was kind of there before almost because he was a coworker, right? So you knew him before? I knew him before, but I didn't hardly talk to him. We kind of worked in oh. different areas. Joe. Okay. He worked in llamas. You worked <laughs> yeah. in cattle. Yeah. Um, Joe and him actually talked more often because they like to talk about hunting. And Kyle had mm -hmm. come from Hanksville, Utah. That is a big hunting area with the mountain there. Yep. And there is the hole in the mountain gas station. Down yeah. There. I've been in that. It's very interesting. It is. On the way to Lake Powell. Yep. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> but and Escalante. Yeah. But so they had way more to talk about than Kyle and I ever did. Well, the good news is, is that you were never tricking him. You know, no. he knew exactly what he was getting into because he was supporting you through the grief process. Yeah. Not the dating process. It was the grief process that turned into the dating process. Yeah. So that does sound rather unusual, mm. but it's cool that it worked out and that he was open to supporting you and then marrying you yeah and taking on two little boys and um it it's just all been i tell people like oh in my dining room i have a picture of me with two different men for wedding pictures <laughs> so it's <laughs> um, and then do you record their reaction so you can laugh at it later um i haven't yet what i really like to do is people who don't know my story 
watch them as they're looking at these two different pictures and trying to figure out if they're the same people or not. Um, <laughs> and they're not. And you're like, did you wear the same dress? Yeah, I didn't. That would have been, they look a little bit similar. Like a mind. I thought about wearing my same dress because I hate shopping and I really liked my dress to start with. Um, and I eventually decided to get a new one. <laughs> it's like, that might oh, be a little funny. too far. Um, but on the memorial table at our wedding, I had a picture of Joe. That's, I think that's cool. What a gift to be able to be open like that about yeah. that person with your new person and in public. Because I, th- I know that that's a source of stress and trepidation for yeah. people. I'm People thinking about the what ifs and then mm-hmm. people experiencing actual pushback from real life scenarios, you know. So that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I was definitely really lucky to have him be so understanding because how I look at it is Joe and losing Joe is all a part of my story now. Um, Then I can take down the pictures and I can take off the rings, but it's part of my story. So why, why not embrace it as much as I want to embrace it? Um, And he's been really supportive of that. And I wear, I still wear my wedding band from Joe and now I have a widow's ring and a wedding band from Kyle. Um, because it tells my story. Can I ask you about your kids? You can. So obviously the baby baby has no memories mm-hmm. of his dad. Does Was the other one three? Is that what he, you said? Yep, he was just about three. Does he have any memories of his dad? He has a few and they're really, um, I think he has, now he has some, like, you know, the fake memories just from hearing stories. Yeah. But every once in a while, he's like, do you remember that one time when I was upstairs helping dad pull out carpet? <laughs> and it's, it's not a story anybody's talked about. And it's like, yeah, that happened. That was something that was happening right before he died. Hmm. Um, so it is interesting. And right, like, right away after he passed away, he'd do really interesting things like, hey, do you remember that store? That was my dad's store, but he's dead. So it's yours now. It's like. Okay. Yep. Okay. Which catches you off guard at first. Do you ever find him having memories that are completely bizarre and made up? You're like, that never happened. I haven't yet. Um, okay. I I wouldn't be surprised if at some point that happens. But I've so heard far... it's really common, and my kids do it. They'll be like, "Remember that time we were doing this and that place?" And I'm like, "No. Well, <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't happen." But okay. I tell my parents all the time about stories that they insist never happened. So, well, obviously your parents are wrong. In obviously, that case, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't recall hearing any of those. But he's like, it's just at the very beginning of his memory, right? How have you tried to keep their dad in their lives? Uh, um, so like I said, we have the wedding picture of me and their dad is still up. And a bunch of pictures throughout the house are still up. Um, one thing we did was we had bears and pillows made out of, and blankets, I guess, made out of some of his clothes. But I also made each kid uh, like one of those photo books mm-hmm. that had pictures of them. Um, it was a lot harder for the two-week-old because, you know, we weren't expecting him to die. So we didn't have a whole lot of pictures. Um, uh, that's got to be heartbreaking. Yeah. So I think we have maybe five pictures of them together 
are they interested in those books? Are they interested in the bears? Is it just kind of like that was a that was like not that big of a deal in their lives? Yeah. So the pillows they use, I think the bears at one point in time they decided were creepy. <laughs> And so they, they're now sitting in my bedroom. The blankets they use, but it's not really, I don't feel like they're really drawn to them. I feel like they could kind of go either way with them. Yeah. I think, I mean, this is going to, I don't know how this is going to sound, but in a way that I think that can be comforting because like for my kids, we go to a, a grief support group for kids and I listen to the other parents and it's like their kids are grief stricken all the time. And I'm like, Mine don't seem to care at all, yeah. especially, the, you know, the younger ones. And so sometimes you feel like you've failed them or they're, something's wrong with them. It's but I think just wrong. like, just like adult grief, child grief, you know, runs a whole spectrum of what's normal and what's not normal. So yeah. in a way, I think it's nice to hear kind of that side of that side of child grief also. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that when Joe died, I mean, like I said, Cody was like, he was like two weeks away from being three. So he was basically three with that developmental, at that developmental stage. And before when Joe would be gone at work, he'd always very much want his dad. Where's dad? When's he coming home? Where's dad? Um, He never asked after Joe died. Even before we told him that he died, he never once asked where his dad was or anything. Wow. And he was just very matter of fact about it. I don't remember him crying about it at all. Interesting. And so I don't know if there was something else going on and he felt comforted and didn't need that or if that's just. Uh, that's kind of what I think. But... Yeah. <laughs> I like to think I that. Get to choose. Yeah. So you and Kyle were married. And take us from there and tell us how things went after that. Yeah, so um, things went great. And we decided we wanted to have another kid. Um, Joe and I had had some miscarriages. So there was a lot of talk because I didn't really want to have to deal with that again. Um, But we did just kind of want another kid. And really, it would meld our family together, which sounds bad. It sounds like we were just having this kid to like, oh, you're going to be our glue. Um, But it wasn't. We decided that we would try and see what happened. And we weren't going to really push it too much if we had troubles. And we didn't. And we had a little girl in 2018. And she was amazing. And she was super easy and happy and healthy. And her brothers adored her um, and constantly gave her things that are good for babies, like Legos and rocks and (laughs) (laughs) um, everything that they liked. And uh, I still went through grief stuff and still talked to people. And I lead a grief group here locally. And things were just, it seemed good. I was happier than I thought was possible after Joe died. Um, And then our daughter Riley got sick and we didn't think it was anything big, but she was dehydrated. So we went to the hospital and they were going to test her for meningitis, at which point she coded. Um, And they worked on her for 40 minutes and were able to get her heart going again. And we went to Boise uh, to the pediatric ICU and... um, she never regained consciousness. And so we ended up donating her heart and liver and kidneys and she saved three other lives and we lost her at three months. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, so that seems unfair. I thought so. I'm, I mean, I'm biased, but it seemed completely I think anyone unfair. Anyone would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So 
people often compare grief and there's partner loss and child loss and you've been through both. What are the differences? Obviously, like, besides the fact that one's your child that you brought into the world, but can you tell us a little bit what that's like? So when my husband passed away, it was, I I felt a lot of guilt, like, oh, maybe when he had heartburn a few weeks ago, we should have gone into the doctors. And I felt like I could have done more to save him. But a lot of that was really just superficial. Um, There wasn't really any good basis for it. And with Riley, I felt a lot of guilt because as her mom, it was my responsibility to keep her alive. And I didn't. I, I, that is probably the biggest difference. Um, the other component of it, I guess that was also really big is when my husband died, that was the person that lived my life with me and did everything with me and was always there. And all of a sudden I was alone, even though I was surrounded by people that offered great support, I was alone in my, in my life really. Um, and when Riley passed away, I had Kyle still. So I was able to grieve with somebody else, even though we grieved in very different ways, but there was somebody else who was going through a similar thing. And I think on some level that helped and it didn't make it less crappy, (laughs) Um, but it made it a little bit easier because I automatically had somebody I could talk to. That is so heavy. I think that a lot of widows and widowers deal with guilt on all different levels of severity. How, how have you dealt with, how have you come to terms with those feelings of guilt and regret? Um, A lot of it was, I did find a really good coach that helped talk me through things. Um, And basically what it came down to was when you love somebody, you do your best to take care of them. And you're not responsible for what happens and not everything has a reason. And it's one of those things which is easy to hear, but it's a lot harder to believe. Um, Do you feel like you have forgiven yourself of that? Or is that something that still is painful for you? I think I've forgiven myself for that most days. Um, Mm -hmm. For Joe, because I didn't really have any solid things I could have done. Um, because there weren't really any symptoms or anything like that. It was a little bit easier to forgive myself. And with Riley, I think it was a little bit harder. And I still struggle with it a lot on like Mother's Day. And when I say forgive yourself, I'm not saying that you need to forgive yourself. I mean, that's something we put on ourselves. So it's not like, have you absolved yourself of the the sin or the crime that you have committed? It's more of an internal, you know, working out of those feelings yeah and I think it was a little bit easier with Riley too because Kyle and I had the conversation that neither of us were to blame and we couldn't blame each other and if we weren't going to blame each other we couldn't blame ourselves either and so it doesn't mean we didn't still do it a little bit but um knowing that the other person knowing that he didn't blame me helped like you intellectually each knew even though you knew you're gonna have feelings come up how was that on the, the boys uh horrifying (laughs) that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do is um we they knew she was sick when we went to the hospital and we all had colds and just thought it was she had a cold and she wasn't drinking and needed fluids um 
And they didn't even do the meningitis test. They just rolled her on her side and she coded. And so what we had to tell them was, hey, we have to go to this bigger hospital. She's really sick. You're going to stay with your aunt and uncle. Um, and so we went to Boise and left them in town. And we were there for about a week between um, running through all the tests and having her declared brain dead and then all the organ donation stuff. And each night, we didn't want to tell them over the phone that she had passed away. So each night it was like, they're doing the best they can, but she's really sick and they're doing the best they can. And so, um, and they went to school for the first few days. And then my brother-in-law and his wife kind of kept them a little, just kind of at home. And so they didn't hear the community talking. Um, and so after she went into surgery to do her donations, we drove back the three hours and um, we were met here by our kids. And the first thing they said when they walked in was like, where's Riley? How is she? And we all sat together on the couch and said, you know, she was really sick and the doctors did the best she could, but she didn't make it and she died. I have no idea how long all four of us sat there on that couch just bawling. It seems like it's too much to deal with. Like, how do you come back from all of that? But we're seeing you and you're sitting there and you're upright and, you you know, you seem to be functioning like a human person. And you make so... dark jokes. Yeah. Dark jokes help. Um, I think I learned after Joe and all the things I learned after Joe really helped me know how to deal with Riley. Because at that point, I went from not having a clue that grief was actually a real thing that was more than just like a, somebody you've never met passing away. Um, and so I got a pretty good introduction to grief through Joe and I learned how I grieve and what I do. And oh, when I'm having these bad days and I don't realize it, it's probably because I'm grieving. And so with Riley, I knew a little bit about what was going on, but the biggest thing and the hardest lesson I think was I am more than my losses. So I am more than losing Joe. I'm more than just a widow and I'm more than just a mom who's lost a daughter. Um, I was also a wife and I am a wife and I'm a mom still. And the bad things that happen take up like a split second on your timeline of life. Um, and in between those seconds of really horrible things, there's really good things. And nobody wants to be told, hey, focus on all what everything you have and how wonderful these other things are and how great your kids are. Nobody wants to be told that. But in reality, remembering that and giving myself permission to be happy and sometimes forcing myself to be happy. I did a little bit of the whole fake it till you make it type stuff for a while. I think that really helped me. That's interesting. Anita and I talk about this a lot where we're like, when... When is it bypassing what we need to go through? And when is it looking for the positive that helps us take another step? What do you think? I think for me, the difference is if I was doing it for other people or if I was doing it for myself. Mm. So if I was, okay, put on a face because I don't want people to tell me I'm strong, but I want everybody to think I'm really strong. And so put on the smile and act how I think people want me to act and do all the things I need to do. Um, I don't think that's healthy because I don't think you're addressing what's actually going on. But for me, when it was like, 
I'd be by myself and maybe I'd be watching my kids play and one of them would do something that was really cute. And I'd recognize that, yeah, I'm just sitting here. I'm not smiling. Oh, they're doing something really cute. Why aren't you smiling? (laughs) And then being like, Hey, how about you just smile? Just try to smile. Even though you don't feel like smiling, it's okay to smile and faking it that way. Almost as a reminder that I can be sad and I can still smile and it doesn't take away from the other thing. So Autumn, you wrote a book. Do you want to tell us about that? I did. I wrote a memoir that kind of covers both losing my husband and my daughter Riley and um, a few other people in that short time frame. And so I really tried to be as open and honest as I could. I actually wrote it originally as a stream of consciousness type of thing. I just kind of sat down and wrote because I wanted to get some of the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts out there that if I thought too much about it, I don't think would have come come through. So I decided to write my book because people who were hearing my story wanted to hear more about it and were telling me that it helped them. And that's really the whole point of it. I was surprised actually by how much it helped me just to write that because I've never been into journaling or anything like that. Um, But I want to let people know that there's really low lows, but there can also be really good things in life. And just because something bad happens doesn't mean you have to be stuck in that misery forever. Did you, so did it start more as an installation, like a blog or... Um, just went straight to the the whole thing in a book form? I think the first time was I actually went and did a little local speaking event where they have women who have been through a hardship come and talk about their hardship and also how they're dealing with it. Um, And I did that about three months after Riley had died. And then some of the feedback I got from that encouraged me to write a book. So what's it called? It's called Boldly Into the Darkness, Living with Loss, Growing with Grief, and Holding on to Happiness. I can't believe all the stuff you've done and lived through, Autumn. Like, Because as somebody that creates stuff also, it's hard to sit down and do the thing. It's like your brain's not working, and getting that out of your body and into paper or on the computer is a huge feat. I know that a lot of uh, people that have gone through hard things have written books, and and... Just so everyone knows, that's hard. That's a big deal. Even though it's like becoming kind of the norm, so sort of. Man, that is a lot. And you're dealing with spouse grief, baby grief. Like, kudos to you. And being a parent. Too. And yes. And working full time for the cows. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. This is, you're amazing. Continue. Well, thank you. So you write this book. What was the feedback that you got? Did it grow into something else? So while I both had the idea to write the book, I also knew I wanted to help people. So that's kind of where my website came from. Um, And it's growing with grief. And basically it's because, like I mentioned earlier, I had so much trouble finding resources to start with that I just wanted a website that I didn't have to put a lot into, but I could provide a lot of resources for people. So I have like lists of books, which I try to preview before I put on there. So it's... (laughs) fairly short but getting longer and I have lists of podcasts and I have lists of organizations and so people can just kind of come to the website and click around and hopefully find something that would be helpful to them and so that and the book kind of came together at the same time that is awesome 
So it's growingwithgrief.com. And people can go there and see resources that you found helpful or that might mm-hmm. or that other people might find helpful. And I'm assuming that you are not being specific to spousal grief or child grief or parent loss, just all grief because yep. you've experienced all of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All grief, whatever resources I find that I think will be good. So a lot of the big organizations are on there, but then I try to find some that people may not have heard of, or they may not have great websites, but maybe they have really good groups in person in areas. So I try to have some variety and it's one of those things where I don't update it nearly as much as I want to, because I don't have time (laughs) and I can't (laughs) afford to pay somebody to do it. Yeah. Um, So it's a slow process. So did you do your website yourself too? I did. See, you guys, everybody needs to know how hard this is. Like, amazing. This is funny. This reminds me, this is going to sound random, but it's not. I promise. Dog breeders. One of uh, one of my dog's breeders, she said, FYI, when you're looking for a good breeder, usually the ones that are really good have the worst websites because they're spending their time doing breeding the right way instead of just trying to make money. So, yeah. I just want to <laughs> let you know. That's good. Yeah, I've learned um, through both the book process and I actually re- had a really good company I worked with with helped me a lot, but I also recorded an audiobook and I made this website and about four times every day, I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. Okay, I guess I'm going to go read some articles and do watch some videos and figure this be out. Googling that, YouTubing that. Yeah. You're like, my neuroplasticity is being used on the daily. In yeah. My brain. Wow. Sometimes it's so frustrating because it's like, I just want to market my book. Oh, wait, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do to market my book. So I try things. This reminds me, I don't know, it's been a long time that I think we've talked about this, but I we've talked about how grief is like a hole in your body. And then it's like, it's a circle. And then as you grow, you get like this, this appendage to that circle that balloons out of there with the things that you've learned from it and I feel like you have taken that loss and you have learned so much and not even like so much about yourself but also like how to do things you know how to write a book how to market a book how to build a website all of these things that have come directly because of this loss and so you have grown both in your emotional toolkit and then also like your real person real life toolkit so yeah sometimes it's really annoying that we grow like that but then if you stop and look at it you're like look at what this has forced me to do and I'm pretty cool and that's a good way of putting it it's like oh yeah it has totally forced me to do it because I wouldn't have done this otherwise yeah Um, and now you have have eight arms eight extra appendages (laughs) yeah and I can figure out how to do things if nothing else I've learned that I can figure out how to do things by myself exactly I mean the internet really helps tell us where we can find your resources you can find everything at growingwithgrief.com also if you want the book or the ebook or the audiobook it's available wherever you get books from so I highly recommend you support an independent bookstore because I think they're way cooler than Amazon, but it's also available on Amazon. We'll link to that in the show notes for those who would like to check that out as well. And so. 
Autumn has given us a copy that we're going to give away. So keep your eyes out for that. And you can win a copy so that you don't even have to pay for it. You don't have to have the moral argument within yourself on if you should use Amazon or not use Amazon. I know, because I use Amazon for everything because it's so much easier. (laughs) I know, know. two-day shipping, like, come on, man. Awesome. We hope that everybody will go check out Autumn's book because we want to help you. And so does Autumn. She's just like a really nice and good person. And we appreciate really nice and good persons. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you. You're welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you would like to, we would love to have you rate and review. Thank you. The podcast, it helps it become more visible to others. Check out the Widow Wives Club on Facebook. It's also in a link in our Instagram profile if you're having trouble finding it. And if you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash WWDN to help support the podcast and keep it going. Buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now and until we get to talk to you next time i'm anita i'm mel i'm autumn and we're two young widows and another widow who is going to start the llama ranching revolution (laughs) no i'm just (laughs) no i'm not gonna do that (laughs) we're just trying to figure out (laughs) widow we we do do now now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what well, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.